Thank you so much for listening each and every week. Next week, we will not be having a podcast as our choir is putting on the Christmas cantata for this year. If you'd like to listen, you can always listen live at shumcokc.org or check us out on Facebook. We look forward to joining you in two weeks. Wherever and whenever you are, I'm glad that you're here to worship with us, whether you're on campus or online. Uh, I'm glad you're spending part of your holiday season together with us. We have a couple of things going on that I want to share a little bit more with you about so you can make sure that they're on your calendar if you want to be a part of them. One of them is that um, I was informed this morning, uh, Michelle let me know, to be sure to tell you, that there was a misprint, I think, last week about when the next United Methodist Women's Meeting is going to be. It's actually going to be in January. You can find the dates on the um, information flyer that we have over at the welcome desk. And if you, want to, if you want to be getting the emails and the text messages that we send out, whether you're on campus or online, let us know, and we'll include you there as well. All of the same information goes out via email, um, too. So make sure you get that down. Today, um, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, we're going to have our children's Christmas party uh, right here in the Ministry Center. From what I understand, they're going to be watching a, a movie together. Um, I think they're going to watch The Star, which, as I recall, is just a hilarious Christmas movie. And they're supposed to be wearing ugly sweaters, I think, too. So if you have anybody that you know of that would like to participate in that, that's going to be here today at 3. And then the youth will be doing the same thing from 3 to 5 in the youth ministry area. Um, they're going to hang out and have a good time, have some snacks, and, and uh, a little bit of a Christmas party as well. So put those on your calendar. Now, then next Sunday, um, we're going to be having just one service. The uh, Chancel Choir will be performing their annual Christmas program together with the Children's Choir. Um, so that service is going to be at 10. And then the following week, we're going to have one service also at 1030, and that'll be this service, the Foundry, uh, right here um, in the Ministry Center. So to that end, and because uh, we're, our, our gathering services are, uh, we're holding off on those until the first of the year, so we don't have any more gathering services this year, we'll actually come back with the gathering in the second week of January. And so because we have our Christmas uh, Chancel Choir program next week, uh, Praise Team won't be playing next week. Praise Team isn't going to be playing on Wednesday nights either um, until we have the gathering come back. Why am I telling you all this? Um, Shay is going to be coming back on, I believe, the 19th or the 20th. She'll be back here leading the Praise Team on the 26th. Um, when Dr. Peter Keats transitioned away from us, Shay accepted the position of leading the praise team, but she had already made a commitment to go and take care of a relative for a period of time. And so Shay actually um, helped us to connect with Elena. Elena has done a wonderful job of helping to lead the praise team in Shay's absence, um, came on temporarily to do that for us, and had done that really well in another church before. So would you join me? And since this is the last Sunday that uh, Elena will be sharing worship together with us, would you tell me thank you, or tell her thank you together with me for the time that she's given to us and for the coordination. Um, Elena, we really appreciate you. You are welcome here anytime. Thank you for everything that you've done. All right, so we're working our way through um, the Gospel of Luke, and we're working our way through Advent. You may not know that um, there are actually a couple of different ways to theme out an Advent wreath. And as much as I'd like to light this, I'm going to have to get the lighter. You may not know that there's a couple of ways to theme out an Advent wreath, and the traditional way to do that is actually to use blue candles for all of the candles. Now, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up with this kind of an Advent wreath where you have three purple candles and one pink candle, which is often called a rose candle, and then, of course, the Christ candle in the center. 
And so each week of Advent focuses on uh, a different theme as we prepare for and wait for the coming of Christ. The first week focuses on hope. The second week focuses on peace. And the third week focuses on joy. Part of the reason that the it's become so common to use three purple candles and one pink candle uh, is because Advent has traditionally been a season uh, for the church of penitence and reflection, where we're, we're kind of looking at our own lives, assessing our own lives to see how well our lives and the way that we live them matches up with the teaching of Jesus Christ, even as we prepare for the second coming of Christ and remember when Christ came and was incarnate um, 2,000 years ago. And so in the midst of that kind of uh, penitent seasons, originally for the church, Advent was very much like Lent. Um, just very penitent, very reflective, supposed to be uh, kind of heavy in the sense that you're really scrutinizing your life. That was what the church always did. Well, um, the third week of Advent was always supposed to be focused on joy, hence the pink or the rose candle, in which we take a break from that serious reflection and seriously penitent kind of behavior um, in order to celebrate the joy that is the coming of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we work our way through the season of Advent, we've talked uh, over the last few weeks about how certain things can be elusive to find, especially in times like this. Hope can be elusive to find. Peace can be elusive. Um, today, in the same manner, I want to suggest that sometimes finding joy can be elusive as well. Finding joy not just in a season, but in life, can be elusive at the best of times. Someone once told me um, that you never, you don't find happiness by searching for happiness. You find happiness by searching for other things, right? And happiness is a byproduct of the way that you live your life. And I think that there's some truth in that statement, but I also think that there are some intentional things that you can do, some attitudes you can take, some behaviors you can adopt, some practices you can make normal for your life that will help you to experience the joy that is inherent to everyday life. Now, it can be elusive. It can be elusive in the best of times. It can be elusive during normal times. The last two years have been anything but that. And even as we emerge from uh, what we have been dealing with as this, uh, this global pandemic that's caused us to go through so many different transitions that we did not anticipate having to go through. You know, there, there are transitions. We've talked about this. Life transitions that you can see and plan for, right? One of the things I'm going to tell you today, one of the stories I'll share, is about going to look at wedding venues together with Megan and Chris. Some of those transitions you know are coming and you can plan for them, right? But there are other transitions that just kind of drop right in front of you and you have no choice about walking through them. And we've talked about that some over the last couple of years because the last two years have been fraught with those kinds of things. We'll transition from one thing to another thing, like we'll transition from relatively normal life into a period of quarantine. And that was a strange thing that brought with it its own grief and its own frustrations and its own concerns. And then we had to transition out of quarantine. And that was a strange thing that brought its own grief and its own frustration and its own concerns because when we started to come back in varying stages to varying degrees with varying numbers of people in varied kinds of places, when we started to come back, we found out that we came back as people who were different from those who went into quarantine a few months before that. Some of the things we had hoped 
would remain the same didn't. Some of the things we genuinely thought would be the same were not. And so after transition, after transition, after transition, we've been forced to change and change again and change again, finding things like hope and peace and joy in the midst of those kind of forced transitions can be elusive. Add to that the kinds of things that would have happened in a normal year anyway. I walked outside the other day and I looked up at the sky and there weren't really any clouds and so I knew there weren't any tornadoes coming but the world felt really weird. And I remember texting Megan saying, hey, the world feels weird today. And she said, yeah, it feels like tornadoes, but we're not going to get any tornadoes. Well, somebody else did. In fact, what may have been the strongest, worst, most destructive tornado on record happened just a couple of days ago. Went through a, a swath of land that may also be the longest track tornado ever to have touched ground. I think it was a 230 some odd miles may have surpassed the 1974 outbreak. Joy can be elusive even in normal times with the kinds of issues that we deal with in a normal year. But the last two years have been anything but normal. So today as we talk uh, about what it means to live through the season of Advent, as we take each Sunday and focus on each of the themes of the Advent season, I want to spend a little bit of time with you today talking about some of the practices you can adopt that will help you to find joy in the midst of daily life. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Even as our hearts grieve together with those who have experienced a tremendous amount of loss unexpectedly over the last few days, and our hearts are with those who will be going to offer aid and help in the recovery and the grieving process. We pray, God, that even in the midst of unexpected circumstances, during a time that for the last two years has been difficult enough, we pray, God, that your spirit would fall afresh upon us. Melt us and mold us and fill us and use us, but fall fresh on us. How do you find joy? How do you find joy or happiness in, in the midst of daily life? Uh, I want to suggest to you a couple of things, and one of them is that you can start by taking the moments when they come. Some of the best moments in life are the most fleeting moments in life. I remember being really busy and thinking I was way more important than I actually was. To the point that I just had so much going on uh, throughout my week that I really struggled to find time to be around the people that mattered the most to me. Have you ever heard my chocolate milk story? It sort of goes like this, and it led to one of those fundamental lessons that affected my life as recently as yesterday. Now I tell this story sometimes in a bit of a lengthy way. Let me give you the summarized version. I was really important early in my ministry, and I just had too many things to do and too many people to see, and they were all good things, but my week filled up. Um, I hope you're catching all the sarcasm there, by the way. My week just filled up, 
and by the end of the week, I still hadn't put a sermon together. So Saturday, I don't normally do this, but Saturday night had rolled around, and I hadn't had the sermon ready, so I, I went into my bedroom. Um, you know, it's probably no surprise to you that I tend to pace when I'm working on the sermon. Uh, now I do that on Mondays, usually Monday afternoons. If you come into the office to talk to Michelle or talk to me, and you look through my window, I'm going to be pacing around my office. I guess I think better when I move. And I went into my bedroom. I'm pacing around the bedroom. I'm working on the sermon. And, and it's late on Saturday, and it's just not coming. I'm just, for whatever the reason, um, I'm not able to hear God as clearly that day as I want to. I always begin my sermon prep in the same way that my dad told me to, which is to ask God what God wants me to tell God's people. And so I'm doing that, and I'm just not hearing it, and I'm starting to get frustrated. Clearly, this is God's fault, and I'm starting to get frustrated because the later I go into the evening, the, um, the more stressed I get, the more difficult it is for me to hear what God wants me to say the next day. And so I'm getting frustrated, the evening's getting later, and I hear this little knock on the door, this is the chocolate milk story, Megan's like this tall at that time, um, and she's standing at the door, I open the door, and the kids know that when dad is working on sermons, they're not supposed to bother me, at least they weren't until that day. And I'm ashamed to admit it took me that many years to start even beginning to realize how important I thought I actually was and who I was hurting in the process. She was holding these two glasses of chocolate milk and because she was this tall, the glasses were like almost as tall as she was and there was chocolate milk like she didn't get it all in the glass, you know. So one glass was really chocolatey and the other glass was not very chocolatey at all and she's standing there and she's got this grin on her face and she said, Dad, I thought you might just need, I was ready to just, I was ready to remind her, I would say in a very kind way, but I was probably ready to read her the riot act, let her know she couldn't bother me right now, this is important, I've got a lot of work to do, got to get ready for tomorrow. Um, I was ready and all of it stopped when I was about to open my mouth and I looked down and she's holding this chocolate milk and she said, Daddy, I thought you might just need some chocolate milk. And so I shut up. Sometimes the, the, the holiest thing that you can do in some circumstances is shut up. And so I did. And we sat down, leaned against my bed on the floor, sat down and drank some chocolate milk together. And I decided that day, you've heard that story before, I decided that day that if it was in, within my power to say yes, when a family member asked me to go do something with them, I would do it. Because that moment, that moment was one of the best and most instructive moments in my life, and it was fleeting. That chocolate milk is gone. I've told you that story a few times. I've remembered it. I'll always remember it. I can't get it back, and I can't do it again. And I realized a couple of things as I was sitting there. One was, I wasn't actually as important as I thought I was. And in thinking that about myself and in behaving that way, and in allotting my time the way that I was allotting it, I was hurting the people who mattered the most and robbing not only them, but also myself of the opportunity to experience the joy of their presence. We're stewards of everything that God has given us. Everything. And that includes not just our resources, not just our time, not just our money, not just the gifts of the Spirit that we're given. It also includes the relationships that we're blessed with by God. And so I decided that day that if it was within my power, I was not going to say no. And I've held to that practice as best I can. So yesterday, Kate went to go sit um, for a, an exam for a credential called the SHRM SCP uh, SHRM stands for the Society of Human Resource Managers, 
And they have uh, a couple of levels of certification. The most difficult one, from what I understand, is their SCP. I think it stands for Senior Certified Professional. So the SHRM certification um, is a certification that's important if you work in human resources and very difficult to get. Uh, most people, as I understand it, study for about six months to take that test. It's several hours long. Kate posted about this yesterday because she got it. She did, I'm, so, I'm super proud of her, also because she won't tell you this, but she only took like two hours to take that test, and she did a really, really good job. So we're super proud of her. We celebrated last night. That has nothing to do with what I'm telling you, other than Kate and I usually spend Saturday together going to brunch and going to look at fish. If you don't know this, Kate has developed a hobby. Um, she absolutely loves saltwater fish, so now we spend Saturdays looking at fish. I didn't know, I still don't know much about them, but they're beautiful. I couldn't do that yesterday because Kate was going to take this test, right? And so Kate's gone, and, and Megan says, hey dad, since mom is going out to take this test, um, Megan was not gonna be with Chris yesterday. I think he had to work. She's like, do you wanna go to brunch? Yes. Of course I do. Because those moments, those, the moments that I have the opportunity to spend time together with the people that I love, investing who I am and who they are and who we are together, those moments are fleeting. When you say no to them, you can't get that moment back. Now, sometimes you have to, I understand that. But you don't always have to. Where do you want to go? Well, I think I like, uh, Megan's like, I like the pizza at the library in Norman. Megan's a student at OU, right, second year. And um, the library is this quaint little house, um, bar, pub kind of pizza place. And I love their outdoor patio, right? Um, they have heaters out there. It was a little, little chilly the other day, but it wasn't bad. The heaters were working fine. I was like, yeah, I like their pizza too. Let's go there. Megan is a queso connoisseur. She loves queso in just about every form. So we go there, we sit down, we order queso, we're eating queso, we both order the pizzas that we like, we're eating the pizzas, and we got to do the one thing that I absolutely love to spend my Saturdays doing. Now I told you before that I don't really enjoy watching football all day on Saturday. I will watch the Army-Navy game, and I will get very upset about it when the Army loses, as I did yesterday. But short of that, I don't like to watch sports all day. I do like to talk about literature. Megan is in the second year of a secondary education lit major at OU. And I'm, I'm a literature major in my bachelor's degree program. And I love being able to talk about that. Megan and I are always um, reading a couple of series at the same time. So is Kate. And right now, one of those series is overlapping. So we're having all of the fun talking about all of the things. I'm going to bore you to tears and just... Uh, I was going to say I'm sorry, but I'm really not. I'm going to bore you to tears for a minute because that conversation about literary interpretation led to a conversation about the puritanical influence on American literature and how that puritanical influence during the colonial era affected American literature and what is written today even in the fantasy genre. I hope you're not bored because I wasn't. I had so much fun talking about it with her. Can't wait to do it again. And that moment passed. Just like... Uh, just like the moments when I was holding Megan in my arms in the middle of the night after I'd fed her, and I was cooing her to try to get her to go back to sleep, and I sat there and I'd look at her and think to myself, man, I wonder what she's gonna look like 
when she grows up. I wonder what color hair she's going to have. I wonder what her face is going to look like. I wonder what her voice is going to sound like. I know all those things now. I didn't then, and yet I can't get that back. I've told you before that if I could remember one thing that I can't remember, if I could only pick one thing that I currently don't remember, that I'd like to remember, it's the last time I ever picked up my girls, the last time I ever scooped them up and held them in my arms. I don't remember. I didn't know that the last time was the last time. Those moments are fleeting. In fact, some of the best moments in life are far too fleeting. So take them when they happen. Take those moments when they come. Agree to those moments when you have an opportunity to agree to spending time with the people who matter most to you. Agree to take an opportunity to get to know someone that you don't know very well yet because you may find that in taking that moment when it comes, you end up developing the kind of relationship that lasts a lifetime. My mom used to have this plaque sitting above our sink that said the best friends are grown over time. You may find that just by saying yes, you know, uh, 90% of life is just showing up. You may find that just by saying yes to taking the opportunity to get to know someone that you don't previously know, didn't previously know, don't know well, you may develop the kind of lifelong relationship that will enrich your life and their life and the lives of others for years to come. Take those moments when they come. When somebody you care about says, hey, would you take a ride with me to go do this? Hey, would you go do, to brunch with me? Hey, would you sit and talk with me? Do you want to have some chocolate milk? If it's within your power to do it, say yes. And you're going to find that because you've taken those moments, the memories that start to build up over the course of your life are going to be memories of snippets of joy that you experienced in some of the tiniest and most insignificant moments that have become some of the most profound experiences of your life. Take the moments when they come. And you'll start to experience joy in daily life. All right, I told you I was going to tell you this. Here's my second point. We're driving around. I had no idea that I was going to enjoy touring wedding venues so much. It I didn't know this. It turns out that um, we, we need a venue with a certain size capacity, right? Uh, people have asked me, why are we not going to do the wedding here, you know, in the ministry center in the chapel at Southern Hills, no, we've got to have a higher capacity than what our space allows for. So we've been looking for uh, places that we can do this, right? And, and so um, I'm not responsible for finding the venues. I didn't know Oklahoma City had this many venues in spite of the fact that I've conducted a wedding or two in my time. Still didn't know that. So Kate and Megan have found um, all these venues. And we go and tour them. And I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy just seeing the spaces and hearing the stories of the people who had been married there by the people who were touring, you know, giving us the tour of the spaces, right? So one of those, um, we toured a, a place called The Springs. It's somewhere way north. I don't remember where. It was a really far drive. Um, beautiful place. Beautiful outdoor venue. Really liked the way they had that set up. Um, we toured another place um, called uh, Coles, Coles Garden, which is kind of uh, north, north Oklahoma City. Um, and we just so happened that we had a tour scheduled uh, for a Wednesday, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, and the, that Friday right after Thanksgiving, one of Kate's colleagues had a daughter getting married in that venue and we were invited to the wedding. So we got to go see it and see what it looks like, you know, with the wedding there. Also, really pretty outdoor venue, nice waterfall, really enjoyed the way that the whole thing um, looked. And then we went to go see this other place, right? I also didn't know that touring these wedding venues together with Kate and 
Megan and Chris, was going to end up being like an episode of House Hunters. Like, we would go tour them, and then we would sit down somewhere for brunch and talk about the merits of each of the places, right? And it's ridiculous how much I enjoy this. So this last, we went to one called, uh, I think it's called the Bomberhof. And it's um, also on the north side of Oklahoma City. We go in there, it's on an acreage, and the, the owner is giving us a tour. She's really nice, and she tells us the story, right? And I'm just loving it. I'm eating it up. I love hearing stories about things. Uh, hearing stories about things helps me to connect with the live, the real life of other people. I think that when you sit and listen to somebody's story, you have an opportunity, if there's an, if, uh, there's an invitation there, to be a part of their story and to develop a new story together in a new way. For instance, one of the things I love about the homeless outreach ministry is sitting and listening to the stories of people. Sat with Mike a couple of weeks ago. I've sat with him uh, two of the last three weeks. He wasn't there last week. But I started listening to him talk about his dog. He has a dog named Thor, right? Um, tell me about your dog. I love dogs. You should know that by now. I love dogs. So uh, we're talking about Thor. A couple of weeks ago, Thor has a little bit of a cough, and I'm not a medical professional. I, don't, I, I am loath to self-diagnose or diagnose anybody else, and I don't know anything about veterinary medicine at all. But this dog was kind of coughing, and I just had one of my dogs treated for kennel cough, and it sounded similar. And I thought, man, I wonder if this is a, this is a thing. So I start talking to him about the level of care that he's been able to receive for the, the, the puppy. I hadn't been able to get much care, really concerned about the puppy. He wasn't there last week. But that led me to, to sit around and think, you know, I bet that if we asked somebody, they'd help. So I went down to Shrog Animal Clinic, which is right up the street from here. They take care of all four of my dogs. And I was like, hey, how, what would it look like if you came out and did a mobile pet um, uh, clinic out in Stockyard City? And they're like, well, we could probably do some vaccines and maybe just take a look at the pets. And if they need you know, further care, we have to do it elsewhere. I was like, yeah, no, that's a cool idea. Would you like it? And they're like, yeah, nobody's ever asked that before. When do you want us to come? I was like, it was a great opportunity to uh, be a part of somebody's life, somebody's story, and develop a new relationship simply by listening to the story of somebody whose story matters, right? So I'm listening to this out at the Bomberhof, and they had said um, they had gone on vacation to Bavaria. I think that would be a fun vacation sometime. Um, they'd gone on vacation to Bavaria, and they saw this quaint little barn with, with like ivy growing all up the side of the barn, and they loved it. So they said we got back and we flew our builder out to the barn. I guess if you have a builder, that's what you would do. I don't know. But they said, like, we flew our builder out to the, see the barn so we could replicate that barn on our property. Of course, again, if you have a builder, that's what you would do, right? So um, they had, like, imported wood from Bavaria. And all, I mean, it was, like, it is beautiful. It's quaint. It's beautiful. Vines growing up the sides. And they're, like, a couple of years after we built this, they said their youngest daughter wanted to get married there. And they're, like, oh, okay. So they did that. They posted all the pictures, did all the things, and then people started contacting them because of the Instagram pictures saying, hey, can we get married there, too? Now they have three other buildings, and it's a full-time wedding venue for them. Cool story, right? We get done, we go to brunch in one of our favorite little brunch places, and we're having our house hunters wedding venue edition moment sitting right there talking about the, the different wedding venues we've looked at, what are the pros and what are the cons, and which one does who like for what reason. And I missed the whole thing. I missed the whole thing because I was um, trying to take care of a couple of random things on my phone that I had needed to take care of. Not, you know, not a big deal, nothing substantial, just a couple of things that had backed up. And I thought, you know, I'm sitting here, while I'm sitting here, I can pull my phone out, I'll get this done really quickly. 
and I'll be right back in the conversation. And I start working on it. I never should say that I get things done quickly, ever, because I didn't. Somehow time sped up while I was doing whatever it was I was trying to take care of. And by the time I was finished and came back, they had finished the conversation and were already leaning one direction. I understand the most important part of this story is where is Megan getting married? I'm not allowed to tell you that yet. They haven't decided for sure. But I missed the whole thing. The whole part of the conversation where they were uh, talking about which direction they were leaning. I missed the whole thing because I had decided to be somewhere other than where I was. Second bit of advice I would have for you if you're looking for ways to find joy in your daily life is to be where you are. You know, there have been a number of studies done, and they all say essentially the same thing. You are right about 25% less productive when you multitask. Go look it up. When you divide your attention, you're right around 25% less effective. I think we're kind of made to be present where we are, and yet it's so easy to divide our attention to try to be where we used to be and can never be again, or to try to be where we're not yet. I don't know about you, but sometimes my brain will immediately go to what's on my calendar, to what's in my future, to what's happening later today or tomorrow, and I'll spend time thinking through what is yet to come while I am where I am. Now, don't misunderstand me. I understand the value of preparation. Uh, solid preparation is not something you can overlook, and I understand the value of that. But I also understand the value of understanding that I can't yet be where tomorrow is. Christ once said, uh, don't, don't worry so much about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. What is that to teach us? That we should live in the vein of being where we are. We can't relive what we once lived. It's also pretty well documented, and you look this up too, that uh, every time you remember something, Typically, uh, I read this in a psychology journal, that every time you remember something, your memory of that event changes up to 10%. So up to 10% of your memory of that event changes. So when you remember something again, then a, a memory that you've had that may have already changed up to 10% is set to maybe change up to 10% more of a 10% changed memory which means that some of the things that you're regretting right now probably didn't even happen the way that you're regretting that they happened. Have you ever sat down and had an argument or a heated discussion with somebody because both of you remember things differently and you're both convinced that your memory of the thing is right? There's a good chance, based on those studies, that both of your memories of those events are wrong. You don't need to live in what you no longer live in. Be where you are. If you choose, and that's your choice and my choice, we can live through the experiences, we can live in the past, we can try to live in the future, except that we can't actually live in either of those places because you only are where you are. So one of the things that you're going to find is that if you stop trying to live in the past, and don't confuse that please with enjoying the memories of the joy you've experienced in the past, don't confuse that with taking time to learn from past mistakes. There's a difference between that and living in the regret of the past. Or trying to constantly live in the future. Don't confuse that with preparing in an appropriate and positive way. 
Don't confuse that with advanced planning. All of those things are good, but there's a difference between those things because when I'm in a place where I'm remembering um, the, the joy I've experienced at times in the past or when I'm learning from the mistakes of my past, even my recent past, or I'm planning for the future, preparing for the future, if I'm dedicated to doing that, I'm in the right place doing the things that are the healthiest things for me to do in that place, but I can also choose when I'm engaged in relationship with someone else to be where I am. When you choose to be where you are, you're going to experience the joy that comes from being able to be fully present with the people that you're together with. Take those moments when they come, and when you take them, choose to be there. You'll find as you do that, stop splitting your attention to other things, that not only will you be more productive, but you're also going to find, I think, that you're more centered. There's less anxiety, more peace and a greater sense of meaning that comes from having been able to have been fully present, which means less regret in the future. The last thing I think that can help is to love deeply, and that can be very difficult to do when you've been deeply hurt as a result of love. So you know that I love dogs, right? Um, I post pictures all the time of Gus and Abby uh, Gus and Abby are always inside with me. They have their spots when I cook where they wait for the cheese that I'm going to throw their direction. I love having them, but I also let them outside sometimes too, obviously. And so I just recently discovered, much as I love these dogs, I just recently discovered that Abby was getting out. We have some cameras, you know, around the house, some of those wireless cameras, and I was sitting there one day. They were dogs were outside. Hadn't been outside very long. And um, one of my camera notifications goes off, so I pick up my phone in time to see Abby running across the driveway. And I'm like, oh my gosh! So I run outside. Abby thinks now that we're having this, we're gonna play this great game where we prove to dad over and over and over just how much faster Abby is than me, right? So I start running, Abby starts running. Abby is faster, turns out, who knew? I start running, I'm chasing her. I end up chasing her uh, three neighborhoods away on 134th Street before she finally realized that I wasn't having as much fun as she was, and she came back and we got to go home, right? So I took her back outside, um, trying to kind of walk around and figure, I shouldn't have had her out there with me. I was trying to figure out where the hole was. I mean, obviously she dug a hole underneath the fence, right? No, while I'm standing out there looking for the hole that I can't find, she jumped the eight foot privacy, or excuse me, the six foot privacy fence. Like she jumped to the top of it, got her, her back claws um, started scraping into the wood, and she was over before I could figure out that I was going to have to do all of this all over again and chase her around the neighborhood again. I love my dogs dearly, but there was a time I swore them off. There was a time I said I would never, ever do that again. When I was in the second grade, mom and dad were watching a, a sitcom. I don't remember which one it was, probably like the Wonder Years or Full House or something. I don't know what it was. One of those. Anyway, somebody had a basset hound. And my mom made the comment that she'd love to have a basset hound. My father took that seriously. And so for Mother's Day, he went and bought her a basset hound puppy, right? I will never forget the day that he wanted to surprise her with this. And so he tells her to sit down. Um, we're supposed to blindfold her. So we got a, I don't know, a napkin or something tied around her head and she couldn't see anything. Mom had no idea that we were going to drop a living being into her arms, right? So dad's like, just put your hands out. And we brought Muffin in, and uh, dad dropped Muffin right in mom's arms. Mom freaked out not knowing what dad had just placed in her arms. Muffin went flying. We had to try to catch her. Thankfully, we did. 
um, after that, Muffin was fully integrated into our family. Actually, her name originally was Bridget, and we were like, no, can't do that. What should her name be? It's gotta be Muffin. So she became Muffin. Muffin is a basset hound. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, they're hound dogs, but they're very short, very long, with really floppy ears, to the point that when she was young, she would run and her, she would catch her front paws on her ears and she'd go tumbling, right? She had this little scar on the inside of her ear that was from where she did that. She always caught it right in the same place. So in, by, by, this happened when I was in the second grade and the task of taking care of Muffin fell on me. I was more than happy to do it. Uh, I walked her, I fed her, I, I cleaned up after her, kind of took care of her. Um, it was just the, the thing that I did. In fact, I would, I would try so hard. Muffin was not, she's not, she was not the smartest animal I've encountered in my 44 years of life. And she couldn't see very well. But she had the biggest heart, right? And so I would try so hard to get done with homework and chores and whatever so that Muffin and I could go out back and play. We had, I grew up in suburban Kansas City, which is surprisingly hillier than what you would expect of Kansas, I guess. There were hills everywhere, and our house was on a hill. And so we had like a couple of patios that were sort of kind of dug into the hillside there, I guess. And on one of those patios, there was a, um, a flower box made out of railroad ties, kind of like you'll see if you sit outside at the library, same kind of thing. Railroad ties there, and it was just right at the right height where I could sit on it. So Muffin and I, Muffin loved to chase me. Um, I was, you know, Abby's way faster than I am. I was way faster than Muffin. And so Muffin just, she loved chasing me around the yard. After a while, we'd both get tired, and we'd go sit down. I would, I would just plop down on that flower bed Muffin would come sit next to me. I'd start petting her. She'd make me wait exactly two minutes and then she'd put her head right on my lap and I'd keep petting her. Eventually it'd be time to go inside and I would start to get up and she would press her head down on my lap to keep me from getting up because she didn't want to go inside. This became our routine. I couldn't even tell you how many days we did this. Fast forward 10 years. I'm in the 12th it's the spring of my senior year in high school. And we discover, albeit far too late, that Muffin has stomach cancer. We discover it because it's blatantly obvious, nothing that can be done except to make a decision about whether or not to end her suffering. I didn't make that decision, and to be honest with you, I'm glad I haven't had to carry the burden of making that decision. Mom and Dad did, they prayed over it, tried to do the best thing they could, didn't want her to suffer, and so they decided to go ahead and take that step. Well, this was during a time, I don't know if this happens as often anymore, um, but back then, veterinarians would often make house calls, and ours did. If I don't know if bedside manner is a part of veterinarian training programs anywhere, but um, if it is, our veterinarian, she had it down. She was the kind, probably still is, she was the kindest human I had met at that point in my life, really caring, really kind. She asked us all the questions. One of them was, where do you want? She's in our house. Um, we decided we'd go out to the backyard. Where do you want to do this? Dad looked at me and said, Matt, where do you want to do this? At this point, Dad and I were going to be there. My sisters and mom, everybody was kind of really emotional, didn't feel like they could be present for it. So everybody said their goodbyes. There's no way I was not going to be there in that moment with Muffin. And so Dad looked at me and said, Matt, where do you want to do this? I said, I, we need, I know exactly the spot. Immediately, my brain went to the flower bed outside. So I said that, we went out there, sat on the flower bed. Muffin this time is the first time I remember her not sitting for two minutes before she put her head in my lap. She crawled right on there, put her head right on my lap. The veterinarian 
did what the veterinarian needed to do. And I sat there and pet, just ran my hands over her back while her breathing slowed. And then in a short time, she was gone. Dad was crying, I was crying, the veterinarian was crying. I sat there a little bit longer, just waiting for her to push down with her head like she always did. And grateful as I was to be able to be with her there in that moment, I'll never forget that. I was never going to do it again. I was never going to go through that again. I didn't understand at that point still. Like God and I needed to have a conversation about why the lifespan of a dog had to be so much shorter than mine. Just wasn't fair. Never going to do it again because I wasn't going to invest that much of my heart into something that was going to end up hurting so deeply. When you love deeply, you will hurt deeply as a result of loving. You're going to hurt deeply when you love deeply. Do it anyway. I was never going to do it again. Then I met Waya and Yona and went through a similar experience with them. You've heard that story. And after that experience with them, I said, I'm never going to do this again. And I revisited my conversation with God. God, why are their lifespans so short to begin with? It had to be a design flaw. And then I met Gus and Abby, and here we are again. And you know what I'm glad for? I'm glad for the decision, even though it was difficult, even though loving deeply results in being hurt deeply. That's not the only experience we're going to have, but if you love deeply without expecting that to also result in hurting deeply, if you're not hurting deeply, there's a good chance your heart is not invested deeply in love. The two things go together. When we love, we hurt, and that's good. It's as it should be. Grief is nothing more than love when the object of your love is no longer present. Grief is okay. Hurting is okay in that context. And so is choosing to love deeply and to love deeply again. Because when you choose to love deeply again, you give not only yourself, but the one that you love the opportunity to experience joy that would have been denied if you had chosen not to do that. I can't even begin to tell you all the memories I have with Waya and Yona. Waya was a husky, he was this tall. Yona was a little mutt, and it was about this tall. I couldn't tell you all the stories. I couldn't even tell you all the stories about Abby and Gus, though you see enough of them on my social media feed. And all of those would have been denied, not just to me, but to members of my family and to Waya and Yona and Abby and Gus if I had not been willing after time to choose to love deeply even though I'd been deeply hurt. Love deeply. Invest who you are, not only in the one that you love, but in the relationship that results. If you do that, what you're going to find is that in doing that, there are going to be opportunities. There are going to be moments, and you can take those moments, you can seize those opportunities to have an opportunity to experience joy together with the one that you're investing deeply in, choosing to deeply love. And in those moments that you take, choose to be where you are. Because those moments are too fleeting. Because when you're there, you get to experience the fullness of joy that comes from the fullness of relationship. And because there's going to come a day when being fully present 
in that moment isn't possible anymore. So take advantage of it while you can, and you're going to be surprised. You do those things, you choose to love deeply. You choose to be fully present in the moment that you've chosen to take advantage of when it happens. Then you're going to find that your daily life is infused with far more joy than what you'd anticipated. There'll be less anxiety, more peace, and more hope because your real lived experience of life will include more joy. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful for the opportunity to love. We're grateful for the opportunity to deeply love even as we are deeply loved. We're grateful, God, for the the joy that comes from knowing that we're loved to knowing that that love is secure in you. That it's a transformative and a healing love. And that even as we're transformed and healed, that transformative and healing love can be a part of how we live our lives such that the world around us, the relationships around us are transformed and healed because of your love. And so I pray, God, for courage. I pray for the courage to choose to invest, to choose to deeply love even as we are deeply loved. I pray for the courage, God, to take the first step, to take those moments when they come and to be fully present in them, to choose to reorient even maybe the way we're taught to behave or to prioritize so that we can be fully present in the moment that we're in with the people whose relationships you have blessed us with. That as part of those relationships, God, we might experience the fullness of joy that comes from living together with you and stepping into life, and that more abundantly so. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again in two weeks.